You're listening to the Kiwi Tripsters Travel Podcast. The inside word on all things travel. Buckle up as we explore New Zealand, take you abroad, dive into virtual travel, and inspire your bucket list with spectacular tips and tricks. We've got the world covered. Tune in on Apple's podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, or iHeartRadio. And subscribe so you never miss an episode. Be sure to like and share our podcast so everyone can enjoy the inside word on all things travel. And now, here's your host from Christchurch, New Zealand, Mike Yardley and Chris Lynch. Hello there, welcome to another edition of Kiwi Tripsters. Good to be back with you, I'm Chris Lynch. I'm Mike Yardley, coming up hot on the heels of Chris's travels to the Mackenzie that we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. We're going to compare notes. I've just taken a roadie through the region. And you loved it. I did. And you had a good time. Yes. Uh, But first we're going to head to the North Island where we rediscover New Zealand. And Mike was a little surprised by the heavy crowds in Marston over the Queen's birthday weekend, weren't you? It was unbelievable, Chris. Um, The fact that every hotel and motel room was booked out says it all. In Masterton. Now, I'm not wanting to, you know, take the mickey out of Wairarapa's main town, but I did not think Masterton would be such a tractor beam for so many people. Um, So I took the opportunity to find out why is Masterton such a perennial hit with families in particular taking a holiday? Well, it's easy to discover why. I think people are just keen to support their local towns and get out out of the place, aren't they? that's true. What did you think of Masterton? What did you discover there? Well, for starters, Masterton confidently can lay claim to boasting New Zealand's biggest and best family park. Now, in Christchurch, Margaret Mahi Playground is very well known, probably New Zealand's best playground. But in terms of an actual park, in Masterton, Queen Elizabeth Park is fawned over by families. Um, You've got hundreds of old specimen trees, and amongst those, you can ride on the classic miniature train. There are pedal boats on the lake. There's mini golf. There's a swing bridge walk that takes you over to visit the deer. They've got a massive flying fox, so it really is a cracker park that you could spend all day at, um, all for free. Just across the road... Masterton's Arts Quarter has really come along strong. They've got uh, their main museum, Aratoy, lots of history and cultural treasures in there. And then right next door, I was quite intrigued by what they call con art. And as the name suggests, it's a cluster of containers that they've repurposed as gallery spaces um, and local art studio spaces. So you can interact with a variety of local artists from the Upper, who also will obviously sell original artworks, uh, whether it's paintings or photography, sculpture, ceramics, everything really. Um, and that's constantly evolving with fresh ex- um, exhibitions and con art. Very cool. And Masterton is the home of the Golden Shears. Absolutely. Uh, staged every March. Now, if you want to find out more about our whole sort of proud history with wool. They've got this really cool attraction called the Wool Shed. Kids absolutely love it because it's very hands-on, sort of equal parts informative and entertaining and totally unique. So when you walk into these two authentic old wool sheds, which were trucked into town from local farms, straight away, you know you're in a wool shed just from the smell of it um, and the (laughs) ambience. So there's lots of videos and models and wool handling equipment that um, sort of tells the story of 160 years of sharing history in New Zealand and and why we are so globally renowned as um, a premium wool provider. But 
But it's got an even bigger calling card, Mike. Yes, Pukaha, Mount Bruce. Now, this is New Zealand's most established and successful wildlife breeding centre. It's only 15 minutes from Masterton, so most people staying in Masterton will definitely be going to Pukaha. And it really is like a national arc for so many of our endangered species, uh, partly set in ancient podocarp forests. So, yeah, the whole setting of it is just brilliant. One of the huge draws there is the novelty of seeing a little white kiwi, Manukura. So she's got like a rare um, recessive white gene, and she can be viewed in the kiwi house, although she used to be in the house with some brown kiwi, but Manukura is quite menacing, and now she's got to be kept apart from other kiwi because she did have a territorial tendency to pin them down, uh, which wasn't a good look in front of visitors. So she's now in <laughs> solitary confinement in the kiwi house. Um, but yeah, they release a lot of kiwi into the unfenced forest at uh, Pukaha. And you may recall during lockdown in New Zealand, the inability to reset the traps allowed a ferret to go absolutely berserk in the forest and killed five of these kiwi. Yeah, that was sad. Very, very sad. Um, There are some great guided walks as well. Yeah, absolutely. I enjoyed um, a walk through Pukaha with a guide called Kylie. She was just fabulous. So passionate, had such a commanding knowledge and a really keen humour about um, the vast menagerie that uh, she essentially helps manage. One fun fact... I learned while admiring this gigantic Weta sculpture they've got there that a Weta's ears are located on its knees. Really? Isn't that unusual? I don't know of any other living species that has its ears on its knees. I'm trying to think of a joke, but I can't. (laughs) It's deserving Um, of a joke, though, isn't it? Absolutely. Never mind. But a a real masterstroke at Pukaha is they've got all of these various talk and feed sessions and they're sprinkled throughout the day, um, and it you know takes in all of their their precious um, creatures like the tuatara, um, the long finned eels, and all of the bird life. I met this kereru called Hawkeye, right? And he's called Hawkeye because he would repeatedly hit his head whenever a hawk would pass by. So he actually... That's trauma. It, I know. He suffered a permanent head injury and he actually needed plastic surgery. And it changed it changed the shape of his head. So they call him Hawkeye. Um, and then there is this amazing bird, uh, a 14-year-old kōkako called Kahurangi. And she is... She's like a person. And I know you're going to think, oh, my God, Mike, you've gone totally woo-woo. But she's like a natural diva uh, as a performer at Pukaha. And she actually prefers the company of humans. So she's got her own aviary. And if you happen to be male with a beard and glasses, she goes absolutely berserk. She's besotted by spectacled bearded men. She needs to go live in Wellington, maybe. (laughs) What about the kakatork? Oh, my God. This is the highlight, the kakatork. It should probably be called the kakasircus because these ridiculously intelligent parrots who aren't as naughty as Kia but nearly as naughty, these guys know how to work a crowd 
and they do play the clown, hence why I think it should be called the kaka circus. So just before feeding time, right, you've got this cluster of kaka all hanging out in the trees. They know what's coming, and they'll buzz onlookers with some close-shaved dive bombing just to keep them on their toes. Totally harmless, uh, but very rascally. Um, in fact, their aerial acrobatics were probably worthy of contention as an appearance at Wings Over Wider Upper next year. But th- this is the most amazing thing that Kylie told me. These birds, these kaka, are so smart that the kaka at Zealandia in Wellington have worked out what time is feeding time at Pukaha in Wider Upper. So they will fly on them. from Wellington to wide it upper to get a free feed, then head back home to Wellington. Get on them. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing to do. There's uh, some other runaway blockbuster attractions to mention too. Well, I think the number one, once you've seen the Kaka talk, the number yeah. one must-see is the Free Flight Avery. And this was built about four years ago, cost over a million bucks. Um, in fact, the people who designed the cloud in Auckland, they built this Avery at Pukaha. And... It's an ingenious design because it's been built around like a snapshot of restored native forest, and it certainly makes you realise how starkly quiet our forests have become because when you go into this aviary, it is just a riot of noise of all these birds in full cry. And you've got a vast flock of native birds, all perching, preening, chortling, warbling and flying above your head. In fact, there is one very naughty kaka called Nikau who was in the free flight aviary during lockdown. No people, obviously, at Pukaha. When they reopened under level two, Nikau in the aviary decided it would be great fun to start landing on people's heads and sort of preening their hair. <laughs> and the um, guides at Pukaha are very concerned as to where this rather aberrant behaviour is heading. So they're in the process of trying to fish Nikau out of the aviary because they think that, you know, it could deteriorate and things might become quite dangerous. But, yeah, it's just a feathery fiesta of of birds in this aviary and you'll love it. Um, you will come away also with a, a great sense of appreciation of why extensive predator control in New Zealand is needed and how the birdsong will be so much better for it. All right, you good people, you are listening to Kiwi Tripsters. Coming up, Paul Diamond from Wendy Wu Tours will be aboard to talk about the international travel outlook. There are some positive signs, I believe, but first, I love the Mackenzie region of the South Island. I am not just saying that. I had a wonderful time. Uh, Mike tries to outdo me, so you went to the Mackenzie country, and I looked at your images too. You can't take a bad photo when it's a blue sky, sunny day anywhere across this part of New Zealand, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, your photos were extraordinary. The thing which I find amazing when I look back at some of the photos that you took and I took, particularly you, because you're a far better photographer, Chris. That's right. Is that they're actually like paintings. Like, you know, when you look at those landscapes, all of those fabulous snowy tussocks and the the snow-clad mountains – they like paintings, particularly on a sunny day. Um, but, yeah, I was really keen to see uh, the Mackenzie post-lockdown, and it's certainly stirring back into life. I really enjoyed, actually, 
crowd-free tech poll. For the first time in, I think, 30 years, I was able to get photos of the Sheepdog statue and the Church of the Good Shepherd with no one standing in front of me. Isn't that amazing? It is fabulous. I mean, (laughs) this is just unheard of because it's usually very, very crowded with international tourists. There's always busloads there as well of people. Yeah. It's quite, I found that quite a very special moment being able to do do that. That took me back to my childhood when Lake Tikapo was just Mm. a very, somewhere you'd travel past, somewhere you'd travel through. It was like a pie stop town, wasn't it, back in the 80s? It was. And and when I was there the other day, I felt like I had fallen down a rabbit hole back to 1985 in terms of the lack of crowds. It was Mm. so special. It's a nice feeling, eh? Absolutely. One thing I uh, did pick up on, um, and I know you've done the the Dark Sky Project experience uh, with Naitahu Tourism, they are the big boy in town in terms of the whole astro-tourism scene. They are still in hibernation. Now, they laid off 90 staff uh, pre-lockdown, which is nearly a quarter of Tekapo's permanent population. So as much as the media have focused on how tough Queenstown is doing it, on a per capita basis, Tekapo has taken a hell of a hit in terms of unemployment. The rumour is that the Dark Sky Project are just waiting for a big fat government handout, a la Whale Watch, before they reopen. However, if you're into astrotourism as Chris and I are, Tekapo Springs is where you should go because not only have they got their fabulous hot pools, but their stargazing tours are not in hibernation. They are back up and running. Uh, they started off doing weekend stargazing tours and they're going to ramp it up uh, throughout the week as well. It's a class act. And after peering through the telescopes out on the on the deck of the bar, um, at night you have the opportunity to also um, have a soak in the hot pools with snow all around you while you're given a navigated tour of the constellations above. I think that's a pretty mm. impressive combo, isn't it? Pools and sky. Yeah, and the thing is, though, if you want to take some decent photos of the sky, you can do so. This is at nighttime with your cell phone. You could be able to take some pretty good photos because most smartphones now offer you a nighttime yeah. option and you can, you know, you don't have to spend heaps of money. Well, I noticed your one. So you took those photos of, like, the galaxies just on your cell phone, did you? Yeah. Wow. I thought maybe you'd, like, put your cell phone up to a telescope and then... No. It's amazing what you can get with these sort of smartphones now. Um, Beautiful place. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. Now, you, one thing I didn't manage to do, and I wish I had time to do this, but uh, you went to Twizel, and Twizel has just been um, rated, I think, the number one place to go uh, for Airbnb, according to their survey. It's probably a bit rigged, who knows? But <laughs> I can understand why it's a lovely part of the country with lovely, lovely locals. Yeah, absolutely. It's actually the biggest population centre in the Mackenzie region now, Twizel. Um, it has really boomed in recent years. Uh, but, yeah, I love all of the, the hydro dam uh, legacy, which they still celebrate quite lustily in Twizel. Um, and if you're into your landscape photos like Chris and I, what you must not miss is on the um, the outer limits of the township, follow some of those canals, those hydro canals. And um, if you go uh, closer to the Ben Ohau range, which Chris has hiked on, um, there is a canal at the back of Twizel that creates that sort of giant reflection of Ben O'Hare Range 
in the canal. It is just amazing on a sunny day. It's like a supersized mirror of Ben O'Hare Range. Uh, so, yeah, I love those glossy canals. Um, that spot, by the way, is Glen Lyon Road Bridge. If you want to get the best mirror of Ben O'Hare Range, Glen Lyon Road Bridge Canal. Um, also, the Hospo venues in Twizel, they have played on the whole um, hydro dam construction theme. The Hydro Cafe is just a classic. They've got all of these works project fittings inside the cafe. Lots of homely, kitschy 1970s decor from the construction era. And similarly, the Ministry of Works, Bar and Eatery, is another sort of evocative salute to the guts and glory of the dam project uh, that was undertaken by the Ministry of Works. Pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Now, um, not far away, of course, is Araki Mount Cook. Mm. The Hermitage, that's still in hibernation at the moment, but I think they're planning to reopen that earlier than expected now, so there are some positive signs of the economy returning. That is true, yes. Initially, the Hermitage Hotel proper wasn't going to open until September 24, but because of the sheer surge in demands and inquiries, they have decided to open the hotel uh, in early July, which is fantastic. There are other accommodation options, of course, in the village. I think, Chris, you stayed at uh, Auraki Courts Motel, wasn't Yeah, that's it? right. Yeah, and, which is uh, fabulous. When you think of a court motel, it seems uh, sort of middle of the road, but this is mm. quite luxurious. You yeah. woke up and you looked at, um, you know, the beautiful Southern Alps. It was really, really lovely. Very warm as well. Yeah, well, you An need amazing that. place. And yes. actually, uh, the owner, Paul, I was expecting him to be quite down about the situation, but he was saying um, he was booked out, obviously from Kiwis, for the mm. next sort of three, four weeks ahead uh, for the weekends at least anyway. So he yeah. was he was rather upbeat about the situation. He's probably not as upbeat as to the Hermitage reopening so soon. <laughs> well, yes, maybe he won't be wanting that to open soon. <laughs> um, by the way, I really like the old Mountaineers Cafe, which is next to the Dock Visitor Centre in Mount Cook Village. If you're into mountaineering and mountaineering history. Yeah. The cafe is operated by Charlie Hobbs, who is a legendary mountain guide in New Zealand. He's one of our best. And he actually helped um, double amputee Mark Ingalls conquer Mount Cook, Aoraki, and then Everest um, about now, 20, is that the 20 years ago. That's located sort of in the complex of the Hermitage, quite close to it? It's close to the, it's close to the Hermitage, but it's not operated by the Hermitage. Right. Yeah, so it's an independent... Um, cafe that Mary and Charlie Hobbs Had a great run. coffee there. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah really nice fabulous. place. Charlie probably made it for you. Maybe you didn't realise you were getting a coffee from human greatness, Chris. Quite possibly. <laughs> oh, now, now, now I feel guilty. <laughs> um, the, the, there's so many great walking trails, obviously, oh, yes. around Aoraki. And I think what is so special about our national park is the fact that <laughs> it is so easy to savour some outrageously amazing wilderness experiences so easily. Like, there are so many options, and they're not – you don't have to be a mountain goat. You don't have to be no. a woolly mountaineer to um, witness the most extraordinary spectacles with our highest peaks and glaciers. The one that I still love, probably my all-time favourite walk in Aoraki, Mount Cook National Park, is the Tasman Glacier Lake Walk. It's about a 40-minute return walk. You sort of gradually climb up a moraine wall. Kids mm. can do it. It's not hard. Is this different to the, the, the Hooker Valley Walk? Yes, 
Yep, there's the Hooker Valley. That now, I think is, what is more picturesque? Well, they're all picturesque in their own way. Right. Here's a nice diplomatic answer. Yeah. Um, if you like glaciers, you've got the Kia Point track, which takes you to uh, the, the Muller Glacier Moraine Wall, not to be confused with the National Party leader, Todd Muller. Um, the Tasman Glacier Lake Walk, as the name would suggest, leads you to the terminal of Tasman Glacier. But the amazing thing about that walk, 40 minutes return – is you are rewarded with the up-close spectacle of icebergs passing you by afloat in the Glacier Lake. Um, I think that is truly a world-class walk, Chris. I agree. I agree. Because I was trying to decide when I was there whether to do the Hooker Valley Walk. Yes. That's about or, three or, hours. Or the tis- well, no problem. Or the Tesla Really? One. For you? Yes. But I ended up doing none and taking a flight there you go. Um, instead, which brings me as an excellent segue the local operators who operate some of those amazing scenic trips, yeah. they have been, whether we like it or not, they've been forced to reduce their price. Have- I was lucky enough to land on a glacier for 150 bucks. Now, Excellent. normally it's $400. That's they true. are reducing their prices, and I think because they just want people to realise that they are available. Now, listen, those prices may go up when the borders open, and good on them for doing that if, the, if that's the case. We're all here to make money. But in the meantime, you need to take advantage of yeah. the fact that our border is closed because they want Kiwis to enjoy this. Yes. Now, Mount Cook mm-hmm. ski planes and helicopters. Yes, that's one I went on. Yes, they, uh, I think they do have the best deal going because I had a look at a few very uh, operators in terms of you know what rates they were offering and yeah I think that is the best, um, the cheapest. So they've slashed their prices really well. They also have a very cool option and I think if you've got like a special anniversary or a significant birthday coming up, how about taking a ninety-minute picnic on Tasman Glacier? with all the frills. I reckon that would be a really novel way to celebrate a special occasion. Nicely said. That would be a lovely way to do that. Um, just ahead, we will indulge in some other bucket list dreaming with a walkthrough and Paul Diamond from Wendy Wu surveys the international travel horizon. That is moments away. You're with Kiwi Tripsters, and joining us from Wendy Wu Tours is the New Zealand Managing Director, Paul Diamond. Paul, great to have you with us. Hi, Mike. Uh, good to be here with you. Now, Paul, for those unfamiliar with Wendy Wu Tours, um, let's get a thumbnail sketch from you as to who you are, what you do. Okay, well, um, Wendy Wu Tours was founded about 20 years ago in Sydney by Wendy herself, um, and she started by taking tours to China. And then the business has grown to having offices in London, where Wendy is based now, and our office in Sydney and here in New Zealand. Um, And we travel to more than 35 countries worldwide now. Uh, We have our fully inclusive tours, which have been award-winning across the globe. And this means that we can offer unique tours to destinations that might be a little bit uh, off the beaten track where people don't feel quite so secure. So we do everything for you and take care of you while you're away. And that seems to be a winning formula. Just in terms of the current situation and these crazy times with our COVID era in full force, um, I would imagine the ripple effects of COVID are continuing to be challenging for good people like you. What about your clients? I mean, let's suppose I had a tour coming up to Japan or Korea with Wendy Wu late this year. How understanding are most clients if they've got a tour that's been suspended? 
To be honest, Mike, um, our clients have been really amazing. Most clients are happy to wait to hear what the airlines uh rules and regulations are going to be. They know that we're going to be around to, to tour next year if they want to move their tours to next year. Um, and everyone's just been happy to, to wait and know whether they're going to get the full refund or whether it can be put in credit for travel um, next year as well. So uh, it's been a real mixed bag of what we can do for everyone. But what we do know is that we have given everyone that chance to travel again later on next year. For sure. And I mean, without wanting to probe too much into the financial affairs of Wendy Woo Tours, are, are you guys as a company okay? Are you sound? You're not sort of like battling for survival? No, look, we're we're very lucky that um, we have an owner that's committed um, to the business. Uh, She works within the business and um, we've got a really good lot of reserves there. We've managed to keep all our staff and really look forward to planning for 2021. So um, it's been a real tough year. It's been the hardest year ever. I mean, we remember SARS um, this and when we first started seeing COVID-19, we were hoping that it wasn't going to be as bad as SARS. It's turned out to be 10 times worse than SARS. Absolutely. Well, looking ahead to 2021, I suspect there is going to be a huge amount of pent-up demand and we are going to see a mini boom in tourism again. Um, do you share that confidence? Is that the intel you're picking up on? Yeah, I think I do, um, Mike. Um, The research that we're looking at shows that everybody wants to travel overseas as soon as they feel that it's safe to do so. And I like to think, like looking at um, when we've started the Super Rugby again, the amount of crowds that have are turning up um, Eden Park selling 35,000 tickets on the first match back. I think that just shows that people want to get back to normal as quick as possible. So I think as soon as other countries get to the level one and we start opening borders, we'll see that we feel comfortable traveling again. Let's just uh, breeze through some of your key destinations. You mentioned you uh, now actually connect with 35 destinations around the planet. But starting with China, is China still uh, a big destination for Wendy Wu Tours? It is. China is our number one tour. Although saying that, if this year had have gone to plan, we would have seen Japan probably just overtake um, China as our number one destination. Um, And I think what we're seeing as well next year, um, Japan bookings are actually already starting to come in. People are taking a punt that they're going to be able to travel. And we've added even more itineraries to Japan, including one that's a 21-day rail journey through Japan. Um, It's quite unheard of to have an itinerary in Japan that's more than two weeks. Um, So we're really looking forward to seeing how that one goes. That is fantastic. Actually, just quickly on Japan, um, I've always been intrigued that in recent times, um, Japan seems to be more affordable than perhaps it was perceived to be some years ago. Um, It's not the exorbitant destination that sometimes that perception would have you to believe, right? Yeah, I think that's right. I think possibly um, a lot more people have more disposable income to go traveling now than Mm. than ever. Airfares are a lot cheaper than ever. And realistically, things in New Zealand 
are a lot more expensive than we remember. So going to Japan, things seem relatively the same when we go into a restaurant and buy a meal yeah. or go to a bar and, and, and buy a beer. So I think um, that perception has definitely disappeared for, for Japan now. I've had the pleasure of experiencing Wendy Wu tours in both uh, Cambodia, which is, of course, incredible, and uh, last year in Borneo, which was a real eye-opener for me, and I've always thought it's fascinating how close it is uh, to get to Kuching, for example, uh, from KL or Singapore. So, like, if you were planning a grand tour to Europe next year and maybe stopping over in KL or Singapore, Singapore why not take a little side trip uh, to Kuching and uh, the wonders of Borneo? That is an amazing product you offered there, Paul. Oh, thanks, Mike. I'm glad you. Uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it, and I'm glad we got a chance to let you experience what we do and how we try and get under the skin of a country and really uh, allow yeah. you to experience everything, um, almost like a local. Some days, absolutely. Where else in Asia is on the rise? Where do you see trending in 2021? We've seen a huge rise in the interest in Central Asia and Eurasia. So Azerbaijan, Georgia, Armenia, um, we've we've just started touring there and that's shown a lot of uh, prospects there, as well as uh, Uzbekistan um, and carrying on from the Silk Road going through China to connect Asia with Europe. Uh, it's a really amazing uh, part of the world which you really do see those mixes of Asian cultures and ancient European cultures coming together in some absolutely stunning scenery. Is it safe? It is absolutely safe. It's It's got a lot safer um, over the years. Georgia is now becoming a really big destination for Europeans to take long weekends um, as well as beach holidays. Um, and I think, you know, the tourist dollar helps countries um, make their countries safer for tourists to come. People see that they can make money by being a safe country. And, and a lot of governments take a lot of pride um, and importance in making their countries safe for visitors. Fantastic. Now, of course, uh, South America, Central and South America, uh, Wendy Wu Tours have um, some really interesting offerings on that continent. What stands out for you, Paul? I'm a real fan of Argentina. I love the European-style city of, of Buenos Aires. And then you leave the city and you go to the ranches and, and you see them um, with with their cattle and you get to try that beautiful steak that they have there. And then there's the wineries as well. Uh, then you can carry on up to some amazing places like Iguazu Falls. Um, so, Argentina has a has a special place in my heart, and you know you've got wine, tango, great food, and that feeling of being somewhere that's really different to New Zealand. Absolutely. By the way, Iguazu Falls. Do you think the the Argentinian side or the Brazilian side is better? <laughs> Look, I think both offer something different. What I love about the Argentinian side when I was there is taking the jet boat that kind of goes straight into the falls, mm. um, which is which is an amazing experience. And then getting off that and you've got those small Cayman crocodiles um, just basking around on the side of the river as well. But some of the scenery on the Brazilian side, um, the vistas that you get there are, are quite yeah. amazing as well. Absolutely. Now, to uh, help stimulate uh, post-COVID travel, is Wendy Wu Tours already dangling uh, any good offers, any sweeteners, Paul? Look, we are starting to, to dangle. What we do have for starters is we're actually coming out with a local edition of Wendy Wu Tours. So we will be releasing um, a few itineraries around New Zealand, which 
a bit like our tours around the rest of the world, are all about the hidden gems and unlocking those things that maybe as a Kiwi, we've never got around to doing um, as well. So we've really taken quite a few months to, to talk to each other in the office and work out what we'd do if we had the opportunity um, and also put a bit of an Asian um, swing to it, a side to it. Um, like, did you know that we had a huge Buddhist temple in Auckland, um, which is an amazing place to go and visit and have a tea ceremony there and go up the modern pagoda at the back. Um, but also, we're looking forward to getting people back overseas as well. So we are looking at some early bird deals coming out soon, um, some flexible options so people can feel secure in putting some a deposit down now but having the ability to change in the future as as things change and knowing that we've gone all the way to make sure that they're going to be safe in whichever country they go to which we've always done and it's really just highlighting some of those things that we do in the countries that we go to um, to make that experience safe um, like choosing restaurants that we know have great hygiene like um, the cleanliness of our hotels and our transport that we use as well. And we'll have our brochures coming out quite early this year for 2021, which will highlight some of those new tours um, as well. We're kind of waiting on airlines to give us uh, secure schedules as well. Um, we need to know that we can get people there. Um, but it looks it's looking it's looking very positive for next year. Oh, that sounds fantastic, Paul. And of course, uh, people can check out uh, the website, wendywutours.co.nz, uh, for what is out there waiting for you. Thank you very much for joining us, Paul. Great to have you aboard. Thanks, Mike. Great to join you. You're listening to Kiwi Tripsers. Thanks so much for staying with us. Right, you may have heard that Finland has reopened its tourism industry to neighbouring countries in the past couple of weeks. So if you've been dreaming of a bit of a long-haul journey perhaps next year, Mike, you are very much a fan of this place. You're very much, in fact, you've been there a few times. Give me your take. Where do you start? Where do you go? Well, I really like Helsinki, uh, the Finnish capital, which... A lot of people will compare to other Scandinavian capitals like Oslo and Stockholm. It's sort of a mix of the two, uh, particularly because Helsinki's history is a hybrid of being ruled by the Swedish and then the Ruskies. They've actually only been an independent nation for a century. So Finland as a nation is younger than New Zealand, which is quite an amazing thing. Helsinki is such a compact walkable city. It's sort of like a grittier miniature blend of Stockholm and St. Petersburg with a few Finnish flourishes. But everyone speaks English. The Finns are so friendly. And for a first timer, it is a fantastic city to free roam. And of course, um, for the, the summer months in Finland, you've virtually got 24 hours of daylight Wow, that's uh, is that a good thing? <laughs> well, the the, uh, the flip side, of course, is in the heart of winter, they get about thirty minutes of daylight. Yes, and no. that's when people go completely crazy. Yeah, well, I, yeah. I'm not surprised. Um, it's got a lot of designer stuff, though, doesn't it? It's quite famous for all your des designer sort of gear, I guess. Yeah, very much. And I, this may sound a little bit sexist; it doesn't mean to be, but it's a very girly orientated sort of design scene in Helsinki. Lots of showpiece design boutiques. Um, they 
tend to be found in the Tory quarter of the CBD. Um, I came across this fantastic homeware store called Balmure, and they pride themselves on what they call ethical luxury, and they they do great things with reindeer leather. The most famous brand, and this is the one the chicks love, Chris, Marameco, which has been a poster child for Finnish fashion for 70 years, lots of eye-catching patterns and loud colours. In fact, that's probably what differentiates Finland from the rest of Scandinavia. Finns love bright, bold colours. You'll notice it all over the city. Um, Speaking of that, not so much so when it comes to architectural highlights, but it's still a beautiful architecture around this place. Yeah, it is. And they've really blended nature with their built environment. So um, all over the city, you'll find these hillock-like mounds of granite rock rising up from the street. So rather than blowing them up, um, Helsinki has built around them. And it feels very raw, very primal, very at one with nature. When it comes to man-made structures, a must-see is Campy Chapel. It's like a giant egg-shaped wooden chapel. The locals adore it and was built partially in response to Finland's hideous domestic violence statistics, which go through the roof in the heart of winter. The idea is central city workers can pop in to download the day's aggravations and worries so they don't take their stresses home with them to their families. I think it's such a cool idea. And they've even got volunteer counsellors in private cubicles on site at the chapel if you need some one-on-one attention, Chris. It's not something you think of, though, is it, with this place? No, that's true. Um, By the way, an interesting Christchurch connection with Helsinki. Um, If you are familiar with Christchurch's new library, Turanga, a lot of its um, design features were actually inspired by Helsinki's new central library, Audi, it's called, yeah. Um, And where Turanga and Christchurch has sort of picked up on what Helsinki is doing, it's just in the whole sort of repurposing or, or redefining what a library is in the 21st century. So at Audi, for example, you've got an astonishing range of services and facilities like free-to-use recording studios, sewing machines, yeah, lecture this is spaces. Cool. This is really, really cool. This yeah. is what you, I like um, this. I actually watched a local in Helsinki um, happily using the 3D printer to make a replacement handle for his fridge at home. <laughs> See, it's fantastic. I don't understand that. So it prints out in metal. How does it work? Yeah. yeah. Well, discuss, well, I think we need to do a whole episode on that. Absolutely. Um, I want to discuss <laughs> some of What are they famous for in terms of food? Um, they are very into um, fish, obviously, being mm. surrounded by the Baltic Sea. Yeah. But berries, they are besotted with their berries. So I tried berries like the sea buckthorn berry, the arctic brambleberry, and juicy cloud berries. I binged on these berries. Um, They love their Baltic herring. Um, I can't say I was convinced by another local staple, salted licorice. They sort of douse it in ammonium chloride. (laughs) Apparently it's good for the winter and those very dark nights, but it tastes absolutely horrific. I did go inside the old market hall on the waterfront in Helsinki, and that really is the go-to place to get sort of like a a walkthrough of local cuisine. 
um, one particularly popular item, which I had to try, even though I felt very guilty because I was a huge fan of Rudolph the reindeer when I was a kid, <laughs> I tucked into some cuts of reindeer and oh, elk no. and moose meatballs, which okay. were absolutely delicious. Um, I did pass up on the chance to try beer meat. I just couldn't do it. No. Okay. Now, did you enjoy some sauna time? Because they're very famous for their saunas, aren't they? Yes, and it would have been very rude not to have had a frolic with the fins in a sauna in Helsinki. Steady on. Yes. Carry on. It's such an insatiable obsession, Chris. There are public saunas everywhere where you are expected to sizzle yourself in a sauna fully naked in close quarters with complete strangers. Um, no, a lot of them, you. of course, will have birch branches so you can slap yourself with those. <laughs> did you do that? Did you go on one? Naked? No, I didn't. I thought it was all a bit confronting. Um, yeah, I would think so too. I did go nudies though. I thought these people will never see me again. So if they get a shock... Well, you do like your saunas. But <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't know if I could do that. No, thank you. Um, they've got this fantastic new facility on the waterfront called Alice, and it literally dips into the harbour because the whole sort of Scandi Finnish concept of sauna is that you get the hot and the cold extremes. Yes. So the idea Something is... bad to worse. Well, exactly. And then you can slap yourself with a birch branch. Um, but the idea at Alice... You're getting very excited about this. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is not well, right. I, I found it fascinating. The idea okay. at Alice is... And it's sort of basically like a big public swimming pool, right? Um, but they've got this complex of sauna cabins and then outdoor seawater pools... Some are heated and some are not. So the idea is you get the full sensory experience of temperature extremes. You can go from a 43-degree sauna Ugh. into minus 20 degrees. Uh, see, a sauna's even good for you. Polar ocean water. Huh? A sauna's even good for you. I mean, I've, yes. been, I've been a, f- a few. Yeah, a good few, for your circulation. But I've been, a f- been in them a few times and I just feel I get a headache straight away. It's not a nice experience. Anyway. It does help to be hydrated. Okay. Yes. Right, we'll have so much to discuss in the next episode, don't we? We've got to try and save the world next time. Uh, look, great stuff. Thank you so much for your company. Make sure you like us on Facebook, and the show notes are available on the website at kiwitripsters.co.nz. Plus, do um, rate us, you know, make our self-esteem feel all right. Review us at Kiwi Tripsters on the podcast service of your choice. And we hope to catch you again in two weeks for a fresh episode. Take care. No saunas. And that's a wrap for this episode of Kiwi Tripsters. Liked what you listened to? Then join us for our next episode of Kiwi Tripsters, where we bring you more travel inspiration, giveaways, and insider knowledge with expert guests on the show. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram, and visit us on kiwitripsters.co.nz. But most importantly, subscribe and comment on Apple Podcasts, and tell us what you think of our show. Till next time, safe travels. Safe travels.